30 for 30 podcast presents March 11th, 2020. The story of the day the NBA shut down and the pandemic became real for many Americans is told by those who lived the events of that day and built entirely with archival and exclusive interviews, including interviews with Rudy Gobert and Dr. Anthony Fauci. 30 for 30 podcast presents March 11th, 2020. Subscribe and listen now wherever you get your podcasts. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to... The Low Post podcast on a Thursday afternoon, and it is not just any Thursday. It is Thursday, March 11th, which I guess will be a date that we will remember forever because it is the day that the NBA shut down and a day that everybody remembers sort of internalizing the idea that this pandemic was going to be real and it was going to be big and it was going to be painful. And uh, to help us reflect on that and what has happened since, uh, let's bring in Ramona Shelburne, who wrote a wonderful story today, reflecting on specifically the sort of the NBA angle of, um, uh, you know, this date and what it means, but also just the larger issues. Ramona, how are you? Doing okay, Zach. I think it's it's interesting this day that, you know, we, we always talk about like how long does a year, I can't believe it's been a year that's passed. I'm like, it feels like 10 years in a way, right? Like pandemic years are, are really long um, and our lives are so different now, but it was, it was interesting going back and kind of TikToking through um, the last days of our normal life or our, our previous life until we get to March 11th. So you talked to Adam Silver, Michelle mm-hmm. Roberts, people who were at the Jazz Thunder game, which I, I, I'm going to talk to Royce Young later today. So I mm-hmm. remember that night I had gotten home from the Sloan conference a couple of days before. That was a huge mistake, obviously. Um, yeah. And I was on my laptop sitting where I usually watch games, watching the Pistons and the Sixers in Philadelphia. Cause that was just the game I was watching that. Yeah. Night. And Christian Wood was having a big game. And I remember like, oh, Christian cool. Wood's a big game for Christian Wood. He's playing really well. And then my phone started blowing up with all of these messages, like what's happening in Oklahoma city. You got to check mm-hmm. out what's happening in Oklahoma city. And I just thought, well, does someone get hurt? Like, I think they're playing, you know, they're playing Did Donovan Mitchell get hurt. Like, is there yeah. a scene? Like what's going on? And I flipped over and I thought, Whoa, boy, this is, my night watching the Sixers and the Pistons is now over. And this is now the only thing that matters. And like an hour later, the NBA season was over. So retracing all or temporarily over retracing all of those interviews and all those steps and writing this big story today. What's the, like, it's, it's so funny. Mm -hmm. It's not that far to actually look back, but it's also an exercise that I have frankly not really been that interested in doing. So what, what surprised you in doing it? Yeah. I think what surprised me, Zach is, is at the time, um, I feel like we were all in various states of denial of various states of like, okay, is this like bird flu? Is this like swine flu? Is this, you know, we'd, we'd seen this happen with viruses around the world and they don't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily reach our shores um, or it reaches our shores, but it's contained. And, you know, I remember that I had realized this was a bigger deal because out in California, the, uh, you know, the warriors were planning to play a game without fans that day. And so I knew that was a really big deal. And I had been talking to both the Lakers, Dodgers, Clippers, you know, all, all of the, the major sports teams out here in L.A. And they were they had been having meetings with, you know, the, the public health officials. So I knew about a week before how serious this was getting. But none of us like not even in, in just when I was reporting this out, we can talk to Adam Silver, Michelle Roberts, like Adam Silver literally had had a board of governors meeting that day 
where they were just talking about the possibility of playing without fans. I remember like, reporting on it and some, yeah. some people in the league being like, is this really necessary? The economic yeah. hit of just this is going to be a big deal. Like I remember yeah. trying to figure out what had happened in that call and like rushing to do it for a news story, right. which in retrospect seems like I should have been rushing to do many other things. except right. for that. Like, feels pretty small. Right. And so I felt, you know, I, I, I thought one year later, if I asked Adam what he really thought was going to happen back then, you know, I, I remember saying it was actually the last question of our interview. I said, you know, Adam, what did you think was going to happen when you shut down the league on March 11th? And he goes, well, I, I think I just thought we would shut down for 30 days and we'd come up with some new protocols and then we'd be back in arenas with, with, with or without fans, maybe probably without fans. And I was like, really? Like you didn't, when you said shut down indefinitely, I mean, I, that landed to me like a thunderbolt, like, whoa, what does it, I, I literally remember sending a text to someone in the league saying, what does indefinitely mean? <laughs> okay. <laughs> what does that mean? Um, and you know, this, this idea, like all of these storylines, cause I had just gone to Lakers Clippers a couple days earlier. I'd gone to Lakers bucks, like all of these storylines about the NBA, those were just done. And we did not know if we would restart the season. We did not know if there would ever be a resolution to any of these questions and storylines and things that we had been following. Um, and and it, even though I knew it was serious, like I had been tracking this, I had been very concerned about going to games. Even that last week, I, I did not go to the Lakers Nets game on that, on the 10th. That was the last game that was played at Staples center. Um, because I felt like, man, I've, I've already really pushed this. I really don't like being in these, in this crowd and these, these, these large groups of people. And I, I had felt like I had taken chances going to the, the, the Lakers Bucks and the Lakers Clippers. Um, so I did, I stayed home on the 10th and I, and later on, you know, I remember the, the nets come out and they had several players who tested positive for it. Um, I was like, Ooh, it's a good thing. I didn't go to that game. I would have been in that locker room or would have seen those players. Um, but it was a really, it was just in reporting that even, even Adam Silver, who had been very aware of what was happening in China, they had, 200 staffers in China where they were, where they were, um, you know, they had to be shut down. They were in lockdowns and they had to accommodate their employees. Uh, they had the board of governors meeting. She had had, he had had a meeting with Michelle Roberts uh, earlier that day with the players association. I remember talking to Michelle and I go, so how did you get from the players association offices, which as you know, is actor near Bryant park in New York. And yeah, we still got something in New York. Okay. Not everything's in LA. We still got a few headquarters of things in New York. <laughs> so they, yeah, they, they, had, they had shut down the Players Association office the week before. And By the I way, think the NBA s- offices had shut down. Smart. So I remember yes. going to the Sloan Conference in Boston on whatever that weekend was, like March 6th, 7th, 8th or something. Yep. And people were dropping out left and right. Like, And I remember Bill Simmons at the ringer just put the kibosh on. No, nobody was going. He shut it down. Yep. And there were some people who were like, oh, boy, that's an inconvenience. Like, this guy's supposed to be on a panel and blah, right. blah. And it was really smart of him to make that decision for, or whoever made it, I don't know if it was mm-hmm. Bill, but whoever made it for the employees, just you, you have no agency in this. You're just not yeah. going because I went just cause you know, it's what I do. I'm a workaholic. I knew it was stupid. Like I had a lot of friends that were bowing out and I was like, you know what, yeah. I'm going to go. And I, I just got to see all these people. Like, when am I going to see these gems all in the same place again? There's a yeah. couple of games I can go to. I got to get my podcast hits. Like I just got to do it. And I don't, I mean, it's like whatever, but um, it, it just like the people who acted cautiously were the smart ones. 
And that's obvious in retrospect, but at the time it, it wasn't. So I remember that that day in, in, in talking to, you know, everybody out here in LA where you had to kind of self police. You had to kind of, it was, there wasn't the public health officials. I remember Dr. Fauci had testified that morning on March 11th, he had gone to Congress and he had testified that morning. And even, even then Adam reminded me of this when we had this conversation, there wasn't a, there was no public health officials who were saying we have to shut down the NBA where we have to shut down professional sports. I think, I think Fauci had testified to Congress that day. Somebody had asked him point blank, should we be shutting down sports? And he said, well, we should, we should definitely be thinking about playing without fans. Right. And so in another story, that was March 11th, that was March 11th. So in another story, very similar to you, to yours, our friends, uh, Jeff Zilgit and Mark Medina, USA Today have a similar March 11th story. And Mark Tatum, the deputy commissioner of the NBA Mm. talks about hearing Fauci say that on March 11th. Now, by that time, they've got the board of governor meeting scheduled where they're going to talk about how many fans should we have fans, blah, blah, blah. They've got the Warriors who are already going to play without fans because the state of California took that decision out of their hands. And Tatum talks about hearing Fauci say that that day and having it sort of hit him like a thunderbolt of, oh, that's that's where we might get to real fast. And it turned out that that's where we got to real fast. Yeah. And I I think, Zach, it was um, going back and everybody tracing through. and, And that's why I think it's important to do these types of stories or podcasts, because as time goes on, you sort of lose the, the, the memories of it. You kind of lose the, how you were feeling in that moment. But the one thing that um, I felt that this one thing that resounded over and over is that even people who were very educated on this, who, who had taken this very seriously, Adam Silver had started to take this very seriously back in January, like the first league memo announcing the you know protocols or virus memo list. Remember they they always came up with a different number. Yeah, they're Those like they're, they're numbered in- like Dolores Umbridge's edicts in Harry Potter, it's, and it got up to like coronavirus yeah. memo number eighty five. Yeah, and, and it was those started at the end of January. The first time the league started taking this and and giving instructions to teams was about the same time David Stern had died about the same time Kobe Bryant died in the helicopter accident. I mean, it was this, they were very aware of how serious this was. And yet when the league comes to a halt, when the league shuts down on March 11th, it still feels like this giant thunderbolt that things move from threat to very stark reality in an instant. Well, I remember, I remember vividly because one of the games at the Sloan conference had been Celtics jazz and I was at the game. Oh God. I know Rudy and I know Donovan a little bit. I know Rudy better than Donovan. And so, of course, I make small talk with them in the locker room after the game. And then the news hits that Gobert is tested positive. And because, like, people also forget at the beginning, there was all of this, like, how contagious is it? How can you get it? And this is, I just go, I immediately just go back to, then the terror hits me of, okay, how long did I talk to him? Did we high five or were we already doing the fist bump thing. Had he showered or was he still sweaty? Oh, man. And I'm thinking about all this stuff. And it's like, this is crazy that this is like, just like this, it became super duper real for so many people. And by the way, the NBA, look, I don't think the NBA is some great heroic institution for being the first big league to shut down. Like it was going to happen, whether it was the NBA that day or the next day or college basketball the day after that, somebody was going to be the first one. But um, I will say, 
by virtue of being the first one, they are absolutely right to say that it was a watershed event because I cover the NBA for a living, as do you. We have lots of friends who don't care about the NBA, couldn't name any player in the NBA other than LeBron James, maybe. All of them know the NBA as the first big flashing red signal that this was a big deal. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people who know nothing about the NBA, no, don't care about basketball, don't even know that there's mm-hmm. a three-point shot, who are like, oh, wow, the NBA. I mean, that was when I realized that this was going to be a, a real a real threat. Well, and I, you know, in those first few moments afterwards, we all kind of went, like the same thing. I, I, I remember being very uncomfortable at games that, that last week. And I, I think I went into the bathroom to wash my hands, like, you know, every 10 minutes I was, I, I w- but it was so scary. Cause like, that was what we thought the problem was like, Oh, you have to just wash your hands a lot. Right. And sing happy birthday as you wash your hands. Um, and it was something I, you know, I, I went back and asked Adam, I go, you know, why is it that we all knew like, you know, you're obviously Adam's obviously a brilliant guy. You know, I, I have been in the industry. Like, you know, I, I read stuff. I'm, I'm pretty literate on what's going on in the world. And, and, and even we failed to perceive the real true threat of it um, until it became Rudy Gobert tested positive. And then you do the, the math of realizing like how many teams they have played in the last two weeks. And, and you, you even personally going, oh, my God, I just saw them. And I, how close was I? Um, and, 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 I, and Adam, just off the top of his head, he goes, you know, there's a famous book by Ernest Becker called The Denial of Death. And I was like, whoa. Yeah, I just, that's a that's a hell of a pull right off the top of your head. But I obviously he had thought about this in a very reflective way of you know, how did this happen? How did we how did we had we get there? And you know, I went back and kind of reread that. It's it's true. I mean, we all know that there's threats lurking around every corner all the time. But in order to go on with our lives, in order to live our lives, we have to sort of suppress that and you know and and just suppress it in a way where you can, you can perceive there's a threat there, but it's not immediately right in front of your face until all of a sudden it is. And I think in reporting this, one of the, um, one of the things like the, the, the 20 or 30 minutes from the public health commissioner in Oklahoma calling governor Kevin Stead, who happened to be at the game. Okay. Happened to be at the game that night. He said, because he had, there was a, a corporation that his commerce secretary wanted him to meet and they were going to be at the game and they're going to meet in one of those restaurants, you know, on the event level of the Chesapeake Energy Arena, right? We've all been through those, you know, through those corridors before covering games there. And he just happened to be there and he happened to get that phone and he, he got the call and he, he almost didn't take the call because he was in the middle of a business meeting, but he takes the call and he steps outside and, it, hey, a member of the Jazz has tested positive. And it was like, oh, okay, what do we do? And because he was right there, because Clay Bennett was, he could say, somebody go get me Clay Bennett, the owner of the Thunder. Go, go bring him here. We got to talk about this. They huddle in this, in this room. I think it was Sam, it was either Sam Presti's office or it was just a conference room down below there. And they huddle up. It's, it's like a group of guys from Thunder and call Adam Silver immediately like, think about these minutes. We're, we're 10 minutes to tip off. You could literally hear the pregame people, the music, and you can literally hear the pregame music going, and the game's about to start, and they have 10 minutes to make this incredibly huge decision. And Clay Bennett calls Adam Silver, and they're like, what? Oh, my God, what do we do? And and Adam goes, well, what's the state policy? So, so Clay Bennett says, what's the NBA's policy? What should we do? Adam says, well, what's the state policy? 
and Clay Bennett says, well, I got the governor right here. So in other words, we're about to make this up right now. We're about to make up state policy right now because we have this very clear and present danger. And the governor had essentially said, you know, if he wasn't at the game, he may not have answered his cell phone that night. It was, you know, about seven o'clock at night. He was home for the day, basically. He was doing a working meeting at night. But even if he had answered that call, he wouldn't have been close enough to bring Clay, Clay Bennett into a meeting room. He might have said, oh, I'll get him at halftime. It's about to tip off. Clay Bennett may not have answered the call right away. I mean, just think about these minutes that tick off here. And well, it's also it's also I don't know if it was Mark and Jeff's story in USA Today or the big mm-hmm. the big March 11th one in BuzzFeed. But someone actually pointed out, you know, what if Gobert's test had come back an hour later or later. they raised the question of was it did they time all these tests specifically so they knew it was going to come back before the game? What if it's halftime? Like what kind of scene yeah. is that? And it's interesting to hear you talk like in a lot of ways, the two defining moments of the. 2021 NBA or the 1920 NBA season are yeah. huddled phone calls. The one you're talking about and the bucks in the locker right. room in Orlando, when they decide to sit out the game and then call all the Milwaukee legislators and power brokers to try and get the mm-hmm. Jacob Blake case moving and things like that. It's, it's really, that's the NBA season is, is, is these two moments more than any, more than the basketball. Yeah. And you know, Adam's, Adam was sitting outside his, his, he'd driven home from, and he's sitting in a car outside his apartment and Michelle Roberts is sitting in a car outside her apartment. She said an Uber. And that was, you know, we had a long discussion about how crazy it was that she was taking the subway and Uber still. The Uber driver should have broken the story. The Uber driver was sitting (laughs) on a huge scoop. Seriously. And Michelle didn't, I mean, people didn't know, like they, Michelle gets a couple of phone calls from Chris Paul going, what's going on? And she hadn't been told yet because it was all happening right in those moments. And the, 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 the guys in Oklahoma City have to make this first call of like, what do we do in this exact moment? And Rob Hennigan and Donnie Strack come running onto the court. They, they pause the game. And, and I think they did something really smart. And, and Robbie Hennigan had this line to me. He goes, you know, it was really a tense situation, but it was we were all pretty calm in that room. He remembered it was quiet in the room. And what they did essentially is say, let's take a pause. Let's just buy ourselves a little bit of time so that we're not making this incredibly important decision overnight, like in too fast. We need to make the right decision. So initially what they did, remember, they said, we have to pause the game. We have to decide if we're going to continue the game. And, uh, you know, I, I, we have, we had a pretty lengthy conversation about, you know, somebody said, how do we, if we're going to postpone the game, if we're going to cancel it, they didn't know if it was airborne, they didn't know, you know, where they had people been exposed. Now Gobert wasn't even at the game. He was home in his hotel. Um, and he didn't, I don't think he knew the results yet. Like the, the governor of Oklahoma knew that Rudy Gobert tested positive before Rudy did, but they, he wasn't even at the game, but he had definitely been exposed to other jazz players. I mean, he had definitely been around all of them. Well, and I they remember, were on the court. I remember yeah. league officials, team officials, everyone we talked to again, how quaint this is, right? Yeah. Taking solace. And maybe it wasn't even quaint. Maybe it was right to take solace in taking solace in, well, maybe it's a good sign that Ma- that Mitchell is the only other player that got it in the Jazz traveling party. Right. We've got 40, 50 people. Rudy has it. Only one other player has it. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't even know still to this day how they got it, if one gave it to the other, if it's totally right. unrelated. So let's be clear about that. But there was this sense of relief of, oh, maybe it's not so bad. Like if it didn't yeah. spread that much within a team, 
maybe this will all just not be that big of a deal. Meanwhile, Italy is on lockdown. It's a complete global crisis. But there was that thought of like, maybe there's a glimmer of hope there. turns out, I mean, not not really, but. Yeah, well, you know what I what I keep coming back to is, you know, very quickly we moved into, okay, take a pause. Let's, you know, and Adam even said, I thought it was going to be 30 days. I thought it was going to be a 30 day pause. And Michelle is, had been already that day in their, in the meeting that, you know, the, the players association, you know, people had walked her and, and a couple other staffers, colleagues, they had walked from their offices near Bryant park up to the NBA offices, you know, which is up on uh, 55th street. Um, and they, you know, they walk, you know, about a 20 minute walk, I guess, if you're moving quickly and they, uh, and they, she had already been saying we should be testing everybody. We should be testing everybody in the league right now. This is a threat to our guys, et cetera, but there was no test. And, and this is yet another one of those moments, but if this pause, if, if Rudy Gobert had gotten sick someplace else, if Rudy Gobert had gotten sick in a state where that, where they really did not have a lot of tests at all, or it was the, the, there was more cases, but Oklahoma had just had its first COVID case five days earlier. It was a, it was a person in Tulsa. So they, they had a lot of test kits. And at the time, if you remember, it was really difficult to get a, a COVID test. Like they didn't have all the reagents. Remember there was this very mm-hmm. bungled rollout of the, of the testing and, and the CDC tried to develop their own instead of taking the, the test kit from the WHO where it had been sent around the world. And so, it was a political issue of not being tested, of, of not using up these tests. But I remember that night, everybody on the jazz was tested. And that was, that was kind of a story that didn't, that was like, why are we using up all these tests on these basketball players who are not symptomatic and haven't come in contact with anyone who's traveled from China and Northern Italy, right? That was, those were the conditions upon which you were supposed to do, have to be even be tested. And, you know, I, I think they paid back the state of Oklahoma for that. Um, they went out of there, even the, even the thunder, they wanted to, um, they, you know, some of the, they were, should we test our guys? Cause they were on the court at some point. You know, I remember talking about Tumbleson, who's the PR director there in Oklahoma city. Um, and they, you know, he had to stay in a hotel that night. He has, a, he has four kids and he was like, well, I've been in contact with members of the jazz. I've been in close contact for more than 15 minutes. So I, I should, I should stay at home to, to make sure that I don't have it. And he didn't want to go home to his, to his family that night. They, they, that was, that was a big deal. Plus there, there was even the ramifications. They, the, the, the jazz had checked out of their hotel. They were staying at a place called the 21 C. It's a really nice hotel. They had checked out and that, that hotel now had all these events that where everybody there was like, Whoa, we don't want to go to that hotel. That's where the, that's where the jazz had been staying, but they had to get the jazz someplace else to stay. So the governor's chief of staff is calling around to every hotel in Oklahoma city saying like, can, can will you guys take the jazz in? You know, they like they before they knew the results of those tests. They, they it was a real scramble to get them a place to stay to the point where Royce Royce Young has, has been telling his story. That, you know, Sam Presti's calling, you know, trying to arrange for cots at the arena because they were sort of like, oh, we don't want the jazz. I mean, thank God they finally got home. But in the, in the podcast that we did, the thirty for thirty, um, Sarah Todd, who covers the jazz, um, you know, in Utah, she said, you know. They they all got tested because of course they'd been in like like you they'd been in contact with Rudy Gobert and Donovan and guys in the locker room and she's like it's literally my job to have close contact with Rudy Gobert. Um, well, they said you know you should quarantine for fourteen days until you know if you tested positive. She goes, well, how am I supposed to get? I don't live here. Where am I going to quarantine? How am I going to get home to to Utah to to even do that? And her mom was supposed to come visit her, and she's like, mom, don't come. 
you know, I don't know what's going on. I mean, I, I think we look back on this now and the, the lessons that I thought Adam and Michelle articulated really well is um, one, the virus is in charge. Anything you think you can do about predicting how the course of this is going to go. Um, don't, no matter where you think you are in the course of this pandemic and the course of this virus, uh, don't go there because the virus is in charge. So even now as the league, and this is one of the takeaways I had from, from my conversation with, with Adam was, he said, you know, I'm, I'm more optimistic now than I have been even a few weeks or months ago that we can get back to something resembling normal by the beginning of next season. But I say that with a huge caveat, which is the virus is in charge. Anytime you think you can predict a few months out, you can't. And, you know, one on, on the one hand, it's like music to everybody's ears. Wow, maybe we could get back to something resembling normal by next fall. Uh, but on the other hand, don't get cocky. Don't get, don't, don't assume that you, that we have a handle on all of this. Cause it's gonna, Zach, I think this is the next big story we all have to cover is, you know, the vaccine rollout. And what does that mean for the restrictions that the league has been playing under? If you take the vaccine, is it like a, passport to be able to go out to dinner again or to be able to go out to see your families again um that is going to be the next frontier of this well i can and, apply uh, for i can apply for the vaccine on april 12th and you better believe at 12:01 a.m on april 12th i'm going to be on my computer just as furiously as i was when a new player yeah. became available in my fantasy league like 15 years ago when i had to get on at 301 <laughs> totally. to try and acquire mark to in my fantasy yeah. league um <laughs> i will be trying to get that vaccine so i remember when it hit me, it was like a week later. And we're all obsessed mm. with like, can the NBA restart? Is this the end of the season? What does that mean for X, Y, and Z? Someone within the league who was really on the ball with this stuff pointed me to a, a study that a UK university, I can't remember which one, had done mm -hmm. already modeling what they thought was going to be the next two years of the pandemic and this person said to me, you should read this. You should, you should, first of all, you should sit down and brace yourself. Second of all, yeah. you should read this and you're immediately going to be concerned about next season. Forget this season. Like we'll try to figure it out. The league will try to figure it out. Next season is not going to look anything like, you know, this assumption that next season, AKA the yeah. current ongoing season is going to be normal. You need to disabuse yourself of that immediately and read this and figure out what we're in for. And I read it and I was like, Whew, all the curves are pointing in bad directions and all of this. And about 10 days later, um, 10 days after that, I started feeling sick Ooh. and I laid down in my bed and I couldn't fall asleep and I started feeling worse and I took my temperature and it was 102.5. And I said, uh-oh, this isn't good. And I got tested and I had it. I was one of the early March COVID people and wow. it knocked me out for two days. Now it didn't knock me out. Like I've had a fever before. I know what a fever is, right? It's aches, pains. You can't sleep. Yeah. It's miserable, but I know what it is. And mm -hmm. I took, I finally took Tylenol after about 48 wow. hours. Cause I was like, I just need to go to sleep. I just need to get mm -hmm. rest. And the fever shot way down immediately. And I thought, okay, maybe I don't have it. Maybe it was just a fever. Then the smell went away. And the taste, and I was like, uh oh, okay, I've, I've, I surely have this. And I was tired for two weeks. Like walking around mm. the block was hard for two weeks. Wow. And people, I know friends who get it now who have had it in the last two months and they're relatively asymptomatic and they're just like over it. 
no big deal. Like, oh, I just, I had it. Hey, that's kind of interesting. I can't explain to people, even as someone who had, I guess, what is a mild case, like in March of 2020, it was terrifying, terrifying to have the coronavirus. You didn't know what it was. All of these stories are flooding you about what it could do to your heart, what it could do to your kidney, what it could do to your lungs. Oh my God, what's happening? What do you feel? And I will tell you this, six weeks after I felt fine, six weeks after I felt fine, I was playing with my daughter in the yard and I was, um, my wife was throwing footballs to me and I was doing like wide receiver cuts to like entertain my daughter. I was like making funny noises and running in diagonal directions around the yard and all this. And an hour, and, an hour later, I felt a tinge in my chest and I was like, huh, that doesn't seem normal. Like it was like a lung thing, like something wasn't right. And I felt it for like eight hours and then it went away. And every month like clockwork for about eight hours, I would feel something in my chest that was not normal. And all the doctors were like, it's your lungs. Your lungs are healing themselves. All my blood tests are fine, this and that. But I'm telling you now, just getting it, I think getting it then, I'm still screwed up from it, not physically, but mentally. Everything that happens to me, everything you feel, all these creaks in your body that normally you don't think about. Now I'm like, uh oh, is that a is that something or is that is that nothing? Um, what 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 actually happened in there? Like, what are my lungs? look like uh and and not only that it just like just mentally i go i go to darker places now than i than i did before like mortality all these things like all the denial of death stuff that you're talking about i have to work a lot i have to work a lot harder (laughs) to do the denial of of death so it was march was it was scary i mean i remember texting with players in the league who had it and people in the league who had it because we were like a support group you know at the at the beginning you felt you felt like you needed to talk to people to understand what they were. I talked to Doris about it. You know, Doris has mm-hmm. been public about, about her case. I, we talked about it all the time. It, it was scary. And now it's, it's, it's so strange. A year later, obviously it seems like a long time has passed. Sometimes it seems like no time has passed, but I find it disconcerting to revisit March, 2020, as good as these stories are and as well reported as they are. I, I find it, I get like the shakes revisiting those re- reading these stories today. You know, Zach, it's it's interesting thinking about it because the first I think the first two weeks I had like imaginary phantom things like I, I felt like tightness and heart rate and I, I kept just being so scared of everything. And, and we remember we had no consciousness about masks back then. None. Initially, there was nothing. And you couldn't I get was them. like afraid. Yeah, you, you couldn't get masks. I was afraid to be around anybody. And I, I, I knew it was just anxiety. It was just this fear of like, oh my God, we've been in these arenas we've been in. And mine fortunately was not anything. It was just literally anxiety. But I mean, so many nights I felt, God, am I, do I have it? Do I have it? What do I do? If I have it, what do I do with my son? He's two years old. Okay. Who's going to take care of him? Oh, have I exposed my parents? My son, my husband, oh, like every little thing, we all were in that place. So I can't even imagine what you went through knowing like, Oh, these are real symptoms. Like this isn't just crushing anxiety. I, I, in your like, chest. It was, it was a fever, right? It was a fever and yeah, fatigue, but, but it was a fatigue that lasted a long time. But I will mm-hmm. say, you know, obviously a lot of stuff that has happened in the last year has made you question some, whatever faith you have in some parts of yeah. humanity. Um, but on the other hand, it's sort of reaffirmed your, your faith in the adaptability of people, you know, mm. I, and, for me, it's it's almost 
hard for me, not to hard, not hard for me to talk about, but I, I rarely get emotional, Ramona. You know I me. Mean? If I get yeah. remote, I'm a good suppressor. When I get emotional, yeah. like, let's just talk about baseball or basketball or something. I look at my daughter, school thrown into chaos, friends scattered all over the country. She's just turned six years old and she just rolled with all of it. Like stronger than my wife and I, stronger wow. than most adults I know. And all kids are like that. Kids are absolutely incredible. They just, you worry about them. You worry about them. How is this affecting them? And sure, it's affecting them in ways that they're not capable of verbalizing or even understanding. But to see her just roll with everything and to see all of kids her age just sort of, okay, I can, I can do it. What do you need? What, what, what are we doing? I can roll with it. It's really I, I'm very, very proud of her. And and it's one of the things that I sort of am able to look at and say, well, that's one thing that isn't terrible is I got to see this this little girl be very strong and, and people got to see kids be very strong, you know, all over all the kids. Kids have handled this pretty well. But um, I don't know what else is in your story. I mean, I, I, I read it. And like I said, I don't particularly enjoy reading these, but I, but, I they're get it. but they're necessary. Well, you know, it's interesting in the story. There was a lot that I left out, right? That that's in the podcast, but um, yeah, give I us one. Give feeling. us one podcast cutting room, cutting room floor, or one thing that's in the pod that's on your story. Yeah. Um, well, I think when we when we talked to, uh, if you listen further on, there was obviously more games that night that went on, and um, you know, just hearing you talk about your your daughter, you know, it, it reminds me of this thing from JJ Reddick that's in the podcast where the, uh, the Pelicans are in Sacramento that night. And that was one of the last games that was supposed to be played. And they're, uh, they're sitting in their locker room and everything else has been canceled. And, and, uh, and it's like, okay, are we going to play this game though? I mean, we're already here. Should we play? And I think David, JJ Reddick calls like David Griffin coming into the locker room saying, come on guys, the, the Kings are all out of the court and they're making fun of you guys. We're not coming out. <laughs> JJ's like, dude, we're not coming out. We're not going to play the game. Like, what are we doing? And they all go back to the hotel. And uh, the idea was like, they had a flight in the morning. They were just going to go home to their families. And uh, Griff hands JJ, who's like, their, the, you know, the, the great veteran there. He goes, here's the, here's the wine list. Why don't you order us something? And he goes, hey, you know, take it easy, okay? Like, we don't need to go. You know, I know you're a wine guy, but that's within reason. And, and JJ's like, uh, I'm going to order whatever the hell I want right now. <laughs> we just order for the team. And uh, they, they order the wine, but but even as this is going on, the minutes that are taking off, you know, every minute that goes by and they, they made the decision, why are we even staying here tonight? Literally, the only thing anybody in the league wanted to do, the only thing anybody in, that, in the hotel or the locker room, you know, in JJ's re retelling of this was, they just want to get home to their family. Just want to get home to their family and make sure that they're safe and make sure that everyone's okay. And it brought everyone in the league, not just in the league, but around the world, really, to their knees of um, just how clear and present th this danger was, how, how, how this threat had arrived at our doorsteps and in our homes and in our lives. And that instinct that you that we all have of like, just hug your kids tighter. You know, I mean, Zach, weren't you? Just, I, I feel like I had just seen you at Kobe's memorial. I mean, that, that all Which, of by the, the way, beginning of who knows if it was cold. in the air there? It probably was somewhere. Yeah. Which by the way, I just want to, I, which by the way, I just want to make this hundred percent clear. Yeah. Um, I don't want anyone to put together that I was talking with the jazz people. And then I got it. First of all, there was yeah. like a two and a half week separator oh, yeah. between those two events. And second of all, I was on Amtrak's at games, yep. living in the city, taking the subway, 
There was like oh, yeah. 9,000 times I could have been exposed to it. I just want to be totally. 100% clear on that. Yeah. And the time frame even feels like it could have been later, but it's, it's, it's one of those, it's one of those things where everything we had all been, I feel, I feel like I've had so many conversations with you at the beginning of 2020, whether it would be the, the days after, you know, Kobe Bryant was killed in the helicopter crash with all those other kids that still just, just, Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm the, we're, we're all never going to get over that. I mean, I can just go right back to that moment and cry because it, it feels so real. And, and then we have his, his funeral in, in late February. And then this, I mean, everything that we had experienced at the beginning of 2020 was just don't take any of this for granted, man, that, that just hug the people you love tightly because can't take any of it for granted that it's going to even be there tomorrow. And, and that, that book that Adam referenced, I mean, that's, that's what we do every day. That's what we're going to do as we go back and reemerge into the world after the vaccines and after the, the, the most, the, the, all the different waves of this virus have passed. I, there's still even a part of me that's like, once you get that vaccine, I know it'll feel better, but it's a weird, you know, we're all going to take some time before we take the mask off. Right. Yeah, I think so. Well, I don't want to talk about this anymore, Ramona. I know, <laughs> go, I got it. Go, I don't blame go you. Read, go read Ramona's yeah. story. It's on the front of ESPN now. Listen to the yeah. 30 for 30 podcast, March 11th, 2020. Ramona Shelburne, I maybe I'll see you at the NBA Finals. Who knows? Like, maybe. Am I allowing myself to be a little optimistic? Yeah, why not? Yeah. It's been a long year. Yeah. Thanks, Momo. Thanks, Zach. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Stephen A's World! Streams weekdays on ESPN Plus, bringing fans Stephen A. Smith's entertaining perspective and deep expertise with signature guests. The best interviews from Stephen A's World are now available as a podcast every Wednesday. Listen wherever you get your podcasts and watch Stephen A's World on ESPN Plus. All right, let's bring on somebody who was in the bowels of this on March 11th, 2020 in Oklahoma City. Uh, our our guy there does a great job covering the Thunder and lots of other NBA things. Mr. Royce Young, how are you? I'm doing great, Zach. Doing really good. It's been a year. That's kind of – it's been a long year. But it also doesn't – everybody keeps talking about how it feels like it's been forever ago. It doesn't feel that long ago to me, <laughs> if I'm being honest. It depends how I think about it. Um, so let me ask you this. You you go to almost every Thunder game, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I know I see you sitting in your seat almost every time. Right. Was there any chance you were going to skip this particular game, or was this always going to be like I'm going there pre-virus everything? Like, was there any? Was there a part of you that was like I shouldn't go to this game? 
No, I don't think there was ever a point of me that, that thought about not going. Um, that's a good question, though, because I remember, it, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, I think that they told us to stop traveling like ESPN did maybe five days before that, or they were pulling people off the road that were traveling. And, and there was kind of like this um, conversation going of like, if you don't feel comfortable about it, like, no sweat, don't worry about it. And so like... For the first time ever, I was kind of thinking about like I was a little more conscious about going to games, and like certainly when I went to the arena that night, I was very conscious of like I'm going, I'm going. Now we didn't really know gathering in large groups was you know the worst thing to do at that time, but like little things of like touching the same pin as somebody else, you know, doorknobs, all that stuff. I was very very aware of it. But to answer your question, no, I was I was always going to go. Um, did you get any of Chris Paul's wine that he brought? for um the jazz players <laughs> no i didn't um i got left out on all that stuff uh i think uh you know at one point when they thought that the jazz might have to stay at the arena that night um they uh sam presti was going to bring in some cots like he was gonna he was arranging to get cots for the jazz at no point did he ask me if i needed a cot i was very offended by that oh you um, don't get a cot i'm sorry to tell you <laughs> you, you get the floor man come on yeah. I was trying to hash out, like, okay, where's the best place to sleep in an NBA arena? Where would you sleep in an NBA arena, Zach? If you're, if you can't go to locker room, can't go. I was going to say, I can't. I, the coach's office is where you want to be because that gets you. You know, you go, you get into the players' lounge and all that. Um, I don't know. I, I, don't, I, know. I don't know. I haven't thought about this, Royce. Never. No, it's not a, It's not something I thought of until a year ago today, where I was trying to hash out. My producer and I, Patrick Abrahams, were like. Okay, so if we're sleeping here tonight, like where? What are we doing? Are we gonna go out to our cars? Are we like what are car. we? Car. There you go. Plan? Car. If you can leave, car is not a terrible option. Yeah, but at um, the same time, we didn't want to be caught asleep either. And the Jazz, you know, stand up and walk out of their locker room, and we were asleep at the wheel. So just, you know, I guess pun intended. I don't. Really so know where were you holed up during all this? Like but once the game's it, called and everyone gets yeah. gets sort of whatever sequester, where are you? I mean, besides so, being on TV frequently. Right. So for the first like two hours, maybe hour and a half, I was in kind of this hallway. There's, you know, as you've seen at NBA arenas, there's like a kind of a, a docking bay where the buses arrive and there's metal detectors the players go through. And then there's kind of a long hallway in the bowels of the arena where it kind of leads to the locker room. And I was we wanted to be right by the jazz locker room. Of course, they wouldn't let us, um, understandably so. So we there's like a set of double doors that kind of like was step one to get back to the hallway where the jazz locker room was. So we, for like the first like hour and a half, we stood right there. We were just right there. We wanted to be there for anybody walking out, you know, like the, the dream TV situation is like, I'm doing in the middle of a live shot as like, you know, thunder players or jazz players are walking out behind me. So we just like posted up there for a long time. And then at a certain point when like health officials started arriving, they kind of politely asked us to move. <laughs> and so, we did. so then we went out and we were on the court for a long time. Um, probably the next like two hours on the court for a while. And like, you know, at, there was different times. Like I remember Donovan Mitchell and Jordan Clarkson came out of the locker room at one point and they were out there and they were wearing like blue rubber gloves and they were just kind of talking to each other. And we like saw them and then they saw us and they could tell we were like, they could tell we saw them and they were like, you know, immediately like it was like a cartoon. Like you could see like the puff of smoke as they as they like turned and ran away from us because they could tell we were a little. I'm bit picturing like I don't know if it's Scooby Doo. What was the cartoon that was the master of like the shots where someone's chasing and like you could see them? One person's going down the hallway, then someone goes the wrong way. Like I'm just <laughs> picturing Scooby like Doo. that kind of is it Scooby Doo? Yeah. I'm picturing that yeah. kind of sequence. Yeah, that's pretty um, much that's pretty much exactly it. Um, I you know it's funny. 
of all the 30 teams in the NBA, the one that I could see being most ahead on this in terms of just research and preparation and understanding what was happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Jazz actually, to their credit, were. I mean, I know that Quinn Snyder and other Utah officials had been talking to their players about this weeks before this had happened, but there's just no way. The Thunder are, are never caught unprepared for wow. anything. Sam Presti is never caught unprepared for anything. I wonder, like, do you remember talking to him or Oklahoma City officials in the weeks before this about and, and hearing from them, hey, this thing is coming or or because I, I just knowing them, I just I know that they were ready to, oh. to whatever degree anybody was ready. I know they must have been. Yeah, they, I mean, they were they were absolutely aware of it. And as you know, there's a lot of people in the NBA that were trying to do their part to make teams aware of it. Um but I think just such as the situation was specifically in Oklahoma City is like it was not at all in Oklahoma. Like, I mean, Rudy Gobert was the first case in Oklahoma City, right? Like, I mean, so like it was something where, um, you know, it was I think it was kind of difficult for some people in Oklahoma to mentally prepare for it. Now, the Thunder are, are operating in a different kind of world than the than just the state does itself. But, um, you know, I don't know that I had that many conversations with him about the virus. Now, I know there was multiple people on the team that told me kind of in retrospect that they were very um, aware and like kind of prepared for like what might be to come. And they they understood like once this hits, then it's there's no going back. Um, I remember talking to uh, Matt Tumbleson, who does PR for the Thunder. After Second the, Tumbleson name check on this podcast. I, I don't like where out. this is going. I just I've got to quit shouting him out all the time. But, um, you know, he, he I saw him after the game was canceled at one point. We crossed paths, and he was really upset and kind of bothered. And he was like, man, we were having such a good year, and it's just such a shame for it to go this way. You know, like – I was like, what are you talking about? You guys will be back playing in two weeks. Like, you know, they'll, they'll sort this out. And uh, he was like, no, it's over. It's over, man. He was like – he was like, if you've been following this, like – if you if you understand what's been going on and the things that we've learned, like there's no going back now. Like we're not coming back. <laughs> and I was like, I was I, he was the first person that I'd really talked to that was kind of put it that starkly to me. I said on my podcast a week later, I said like I don't feel confident in any of these scenarios. But if you laid out eight possible scenarios for the resumption of the NBA season or for the future of this the 2019-20 NBA season. And one of them was there is no season. One of them was there's a bubble and it actually works. One of them is there is no bubble but no fans. And you just like on and on. And you force me to pick which one is going to happen. I would pick no season. Like I was I was ready for there to be no NBA champion, no NBA season. Obviously, I was wrong. The NBA did an incredible job mm-hmm. setting up a bubble that really, really worked, obviously, uh, in Orlando, in a place where the cases were spiking around the bubble and it worked it True. worked anyway, but I I remember feeling the same way. Of this, this is it. I mean, this there's not. See, going I was to be completely naive champion. the other way. I remember having a conversation with Presty on the phone at one point that night, talking about like what the scenarios are, and I'm sitting there saying like, "What do you think you'll be back? Like playing games in two weeks? Like, do you think that'll be it?" And he was like, "I don't know about that," <laughs> you know. And I was like, "Yeah, surely. Like, right? Like they'll we'll, like shut down the league for like a couple weeks. They'll figure it out and then come back and you play games." And I mean, I was just a complete moron when it came to that. No, it's nobody knew anything. Um, nobody knew anything. So, so are you? It, when when I go back and watch the video of Donnie Strack, the Thunder team doctor, running onto the floor, <laughs> and a bearded Rob Hennigan r- yeah. running uh, running onto the floor, are you in the background? Well, I'm sure I, I see am. you in your seat. If, if you're you so look, you're in your seat when all that's happening. Yeah, if you're looking around, I mean, yeah, I, I was sitting there. I was ready for tip off. I mean, it was literally at tip off. So, uh, I was sitting there. And if you, I'm sure there's a point where. The referee, I remember it was Ben Taylor was the referee, and he comes over to the score table, 
Um, and you could probably see me awkwardly leaning over everybody <laughs> because I'm trying to hear what he, I'm like standing up, like just like sprawled out across the table, trying to hear the words that he's saying, because I wanted to hear what he was telling them, which is what he was. He said, the commissioner asked me to delay the game. Um, but you know, that's, that's part of, that's part of being a reporter is you gotta, you gotta be a pretty good mouth reader and eavesdropper, which that's what I was doing. So it's funny. I was not funny, but I was, I was reading all these retrospectives today. Um, and, you know, I remember the Thunder public address announcer whose name escapes me at the moment. My apologies. I'm sure you know it. Um, telling the fans what was happening mm -hmm. and, and obviously saying there's no game. I don't re I didn't remember him saying we are all safe right. at the conclusion. That is like some and I'm, this is not an insult because I don't know what you say, but like you are safe. And then the conclusion is we are all safe. That's yeah. like some big brother it's like, it's like, uh, it's like in, off, it, it, it's off putting almost to hear. It's like in uh, uh, Batman when Bane puts his uh, hand on the guy and he says, do you feel in charge? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like one of those types of things where it's like, you know, he's, he's trying to assure you that you're safe. He's like, wait a second. I wasn't even, I wasn't even considering that I might not be safe. I, I might, why should I be safe <laughs> right now? You know, you are all <laughs> safe. Yeah. Everybody in this enclosed building oh. has been safe the whole time. And you know, you talk about the thunder and being prepared and meticulous. Like you, you know, that them coming up with what he was going to say right there was like, you know, Part of the reason maybe the game took 20 minutes to decide whether or not to cancel it was because they needed to come up with the exact thing for him to say right there because they wanted to try to get that as, as right as they could. So did you get tested that night or no? I didn't. Um, a lot of people asked me, you know, I remember there were a few people that even encouraged me to try to get a test um, just because, uh, you know, just like kind of the public uh, assurance of it um, since I was on TV so much in those 48 hours. But like, I mean, I, I looked at it practically, like I was exposed to no one. I mean, I was never around Rudy Gobert. I was never around Donovan Mitchell. I was around some jazz staffers, you know, like, but I was never close to like Quinn Snyder. Uh, like the, maybe, uh, I talked to David Locke for a little while and like, you know, we, we talked face to face for a little while that night, but like, I really wasn't around the jazz that much. I was never in their locker room. And like at that time, obviously testing was very scarce and it was, it was hugely controversial that the jazz, the whole jazz traveling party got tested. And so for me, I was like, there's just no point in me getting tested. Like, and, and they, they told me like uh, the thunder did and the NBA, like if you start feeling symptoms, if you, if you're concerned, like, let us know. I mean, they were very, very helpful in that regard, but I just thought like, there's just no reason to, I feel fine. And like, I don't think I was ever really exposed. I'm trying to think and forgive me people. If I'm forgetting, have the thunder had any contact tracing People, any sitting out for contact tracing, any anything this season? I Boy, can't I think of that. one off I the think, top of my head. I think that they had maybe one player. Boy, yeah, we're both going to get a phone call about this. Um, I think that they might have had one player that sat out, but I feel like he only sat out for like a game, so that I wouldn't just, have been. I, I, I asked because when there was a couple testing issues in the bubble. You know, because people had to remember their testing appointments, all of this. Mm -hmm. And obviously, DeAndre Ayton famously, famously missed one. Um, I just remember a couple people in the league saying, yeah, we, we know. And this is not a, a, against, a shot against the Suns, who have done a wonderful job. Monty Williams is incredible. They've done a great job. I just remember someone saying, yeah, there are some teams we know we just are not going to have to worry about their guys being on the ball. <laughs> and I was like, like what? And they're like, well, we don't have to worry about the Thunder. Like, all the Thunder players will get, will make their tests. Like, right. it, will be, it will be taken care of. They will be on the ball about it. Um, 
I don't know, any other memories from that night you want to share? I mean, you've talked about it a million times. Is there any story you haven't told? Is there any? Is there anything you think is too silly or trivial to say, but is like randomly sticks in your head? Is like those those are sometimes the most interesting things yeah. to me. Is like the, the, the mean, little silly trivial stuff you remember. I mean, there's. I mean, there's, like you know, it's not. It was never like this blur to me. Like it's very vivid, and I remember a lot about it. Um, one of the things that sticks out to me, and I feel like I'm the only person in the world that found it significant, Zach, is that. You know, just just the kind of the situation going into the game with Rudy Gobert, and he, he was ill, and then Quinn Snyder ruled him out pregame, and we're sitting there, and he says Rudy Gobert is out, and then for Jazz PR to come to reporters 10, 15 minutes later and say no, 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 he misspoke, um, he, it, Rudy Gobert is still questionable. That was always just so striking to me that like that's kind of how naive we were at the time to think that like they knew Rudy Gobert was being tested for. COVID-19. I mean, like everybody understood that, but every, nobody really thought he might have it, right? Like it was, he was still questionable for tip-off. They were going to put him in a, in a car and drive him over for the game with no warm-up to play in the game if that test had come back negative, negative because Gobert felt well enough to play. And that's always just- And by the way, fun. when I have a fever, if I got a fever and a stuffy nose, you better believe I'm milking that for yeah, all it's gonna... worth. Like Rudy did, Rudy has said he didn't think he had the virus. He just said, I thought I was sick. And my default when I'm sick is I'm going to keep going. Now, that's uh-huh. my default when I'm sick, too. Like, I, I'll keep going. I'll keep working. I'll be sluggish. But if I have a fever, I will be like, give me the baby. bell. Give me the bell. Let me ring it when I want some soup. Yeah. And, you know, like, I'll, I'm just milking that for all it's, it's worth. So. As, as we know, as, as parents of children, it's an excuse to take a timeout. <laughs> Being sick with a fever is almost like, well, I'm sorry. I just got to go take a nap, everybody. I, have to, I can't help it. I've got to. I've got to tend to my body. I will tell you one other story that comes to mind that I really haven't told all that often is that when all the Oklahoma like nurses and health officials showed up in their like gowns and masks and everything, and they're like ripping, they kind of had like a little staging area in where one of the, like the actual tunnels that you run from the back of the arena out onto the floor. And somebody like pulled a curtain shut right there. And um, they were like tearing open test kits and getting ready to go back there. And me like thinking I'm like cap- capital J journalist, like and that I have the the right to see everything that's going on at every moment. I like went back there and I was like, Hey, what's going on behind this curtain? And, uh, and like, there was like a big burly security guy, like uh, arena security guy standing there. And he, he was like, you cannot be back here. And I, it's like, I, I don't know who, who I thought I was or what I thought I was doing, but I was like holding up my credentials. Like, do you see this thing? This means I can go anywhere. You, you better move it. And like, and as you know, you, you know me, I'm, I'm pretty uh, non-confrontational and pretty polite. And I'm just like dropping F-bombs in this guy's face thinking that I'm like something <laughs> important and that I'm, uh, I, I have every right to see what's going on behind that curtain. And uh, I've kind of uh, long been embarrassed about, <laughs> about hey man, how that much was, I freaked out. <laughs> that was a stressful night. There was a stressful night and you had a lot of responsibilities and you handled them beautifully. And I was just sitting at home trying to think about what life was going to be like for the next month year, two months, two weeks. I didn't know. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch and continue powering on Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10 minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60 minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay, full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes 
Hashtag vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. With a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Can we talk about the Thunder a little bit? Sure. Because they, the, they Thunder are, team. Yeah. the Thunder are a basketball team that plays in the National Basketball Association. And I feel like I want to talk about them. And you're on, so let's talk about them. Yeah. They are 15 and 21. They have the same record as the New Orleans Pelicans. I can't tell if that's a if I should be contemptuous of the Pelicans for that being true, or that's a good good thing about the Thunder. Um, you know, they are a, a strange brew of players. Like mm-hmm. there's Kenrich Williams and Mike Muscala, and the Roby kid is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, they they have found a way to make this work. They've been competitive despite Horford missing a bunch of games, Hill missing a bunch of games. Um, just covering the team. When you cover a team like this that has these two veterans who you know are, are not part of the actual plans, then you got a whole slew of young guys. And it's like some of these guys might work out. Some of them don't. How do you cover it? Like what are you looking for? What's, what's happened in these first 36 games that has actual importance for the Thunder three years from now, four years from now? Yeah, I mean, you make a great point, Zach, that like when you when you're looking at players like that on a team, it is kind of who are the two or three that are going to stick long term? You know, who, who are the guys that, that may that you may discover? Who are your Robert Covington, so to speak? You know, like the 76ers kind of found a guy and like that, that you didn't necessarily anticipate. Like, is Hamadou Diallo a guy like Hamadou Diallo is having a really nice season doing some interesting things? Is he a guy? And I think that they're trying to kind of figure those sorts of things out with some of these players. You obviously know SGA. He's a borderline all-star. Like he's having, he's having an, a remarkable season. I mean, if you look at his numbers, averaging twenty-three a game on 50, 40, 80 shooting. Um, I mean, he's putting, yeah, putting together. Considering a considering the supporting cast and and that the two veteran members of the supporting cast have not been around. I mean, Horford's played a fair amount of games. Actually, he hasn't missed that many games. But I did not expect. I thought Shea would have a high volume, middling efficiency season mm-hmm. just because like there's no. He has the support is just not really there. He, he does been, not force it. He just does not force it ever. He plays with so much composure. It's, it's kind of shocking. I, I thought he was going to be somebody go out there and be like, Chris Paul's gone. This is my team. I'm going to chuck it. Let's see if I can average 29 a game. And like, that is just not his mentality. Now it feels like they just got him, but uh, this is his third season, which means he's eligible for an extension yeah. after this season. I'm assuming the Thunder will just max him out given that's their track record when they have a great young player. This is Oklahoma City. It's not a free agent draw that they will they will just say, here, here it is. Here's the here's the most we can offer you. Do you expect that? Or do you think I just can't t- you just they have so little committed going forward. I don't know what, what else they would do. Yeah, I mean I fully expect that. Now I will say that there's a flip side here, Zach, that that you know the Thunder's plan, so to speak, that Sam Presti has been pretty transparent about what what he's trying to accomplish is not really going according to plan. They're winning too many games. And like they're they're they want to draft high in the lottery. They want to get the next, 
you know, I mean, it, it's pie in the sky, but they want the next Westbrook Durant combo. I mean, that's what they're, they want to build another championship level team in Oklahoma city. And they understand that you've got to draft in the top five for the most part to be able to do that. So, well, they were but, initially the, the, they were, did they end up the one dissenting vote on lottery reform? Yes. Did they actually, they, they voted I, no in the end, which by the way, I admire their conviction and Sam Presti's conviction and, and the ownership's conviction because there was a lot of whispering about, I don't like this change. And, and then in the end, everyone just did what the NBA wanted, except the right. one team who actually had the guts to vote no. Right. And, and Presti was very influential. I think that they even had the rules a little bit different than that originally, and they tweaked it to get to what they are currently. And Presti was very influential in kind of making a strong case um, for that reason, because, I mean, I think he saw the writing on the wall. But, you know, when it comes to SGA, you know, I think they they can ask themselves: Is is he too good to completely like strategically tank with? But you know, is or is is he good enough to build a high caliber contender with? And I I think that that's kind of the question that they're going to be asking. Well, this themselves. is now, why before the draft, I don't know if we talked about this, but before the draft, I threw out the idea purely speculative, and in fact, I said I don't think the Thunder would do this. I'm not sure if they should or would. I actually kind of leaned against no, but I thought I said I don't think it's crazy to pitch the idea of Shea to Minnesota for the number one pick in the draft. Like if you, mm -hmm. for exactly the reason that you're talking about, if you don't think he's the guy and right. all you want is the guy, then that trade makes some sense. Now he's been so good this season that I think, I think I still think you kind of just pay him, but it's interesting. You're still bringing this sort of line of thought up. I just, I just, you know, and also he's 22. So you're talking about like aligning timelines there. And if, if they don't land a top four pick this year with this great draft class and they have to try to kind of recycle this, now you're talking about separating the timelines between, you know, your top five pick and Shea. And, you know, he's going to be 28 when the next guy's starting to kind of figure it out. So I think that that's a question that they could kind of ask themselves. Now, all that to be said, I, I've sat here and asked myself, Zach, why do I think that Shea is not one of those guys? Like when I look at his season and his numbers, like what gives me a reason to think that like all, if you look at his, his history throughout basketball, he's always been better than what people thought. He was better in high school than what people thought. He was better at Kentucky than what people thought. He was better his rookie season with the Clippers than people thought showed up in OKC did the same thing. So like I'm sitting here asking myself, why do I think Shea's not one of those guys? Like, you know I'm why? not sure I I'll have an answer why. I'll tell you why. Because he plays weird. That's the only reason yeah. why. Because by the numbers this season, he's been better than De – at least as good and probably a little better than De'Aaron Fox. He's a better defensive player than De'Aaron Fox. And the Kings give De'Aaron Fox all the money they can give him, and it's like a huge triumph for the Kings. And I love De'Aaron Fox. I think he's a very good player. Mm -hmm. I think he has a certain spirit and leadership quality to him that will be important as the Kings get better. But – if he gets that and it's an organizational triumph, well, then then you, of course, give it to Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And, and it's just the 25% max or maybe the designated right. whatever max. It's not a hugely damaging max. And, and just one thing about that fake trade I proposed, maybe one of the reasons that mitigated against them doing that was maybe they didn't think there was a – maybe they True. and many other teams didn't think there was a guy, the guy True. in this yeah. draft. Now, LaMelo Ball looks like a guy, but Shea Gilgis-Alexander is awesome. Yeah. I mean, think about it this way. And – you're smarter than me, Zach, so you can tell me I'm crazy. But, like, most people would agree that Ben Simmons is a building block franchise player, right? But like, if Sam Presti called up Daryl Morey right now and said, I'll give you SGA for Ben Simmons, like, is that a trade? I mean, like, I feel like – I think the perception is is that Ben Simmons is like a franchise guy. He was a number one pick. Or even – I'll go one crazier on you, okay? What about Ja Morant? Like, what, what makes you think Ja Morant is more of a franchise player than SGA? Like, I, I don't know that I could – I'll tell you, man. Like, there's charisma, there's athleticism. I think it's, I'm telling you, I think it's just because Shea plays weird. 
and yeah. there's and because he he is has this herky jerky change of pace everything looks kind of strange he doesn't have this like De'Aaron Fox I look at and I'm like all right that guy can break down a defense anytime right, he right. wants I see it I get it John Morant same thing and by the way John Morant I was watching Memphis last night against I don't even remember who the hell they and played. Jonas Valanciunas. He had awesome play. He played so awesome. <laughs> well, he he all. He, he, there are two things. The floater is becoming a very mm-hmm. good weapon for him, and he throws five or six passes now every game. Where I'm like, how did he even? I, like I, I where did how how around his waist? Like how did he right. even see that? Um, but th- you're right. I mean, I I really do think it's just because Shea plays in a weird strange way that feels containable in a way that these other guys just feel sort of volcanic like you can't contain he's i i think he's awesome and i think probably they should just max him and get it done i mean and and again that just brings it back to that conversation of what their plan may be because they were supposed to be bad this year it was supposed to be shay and kate cunningham shay and jalen suggs shay and whoever and like that was they could kind of align them together um, but now I think that they, you know, if Shea's just going to keep getting better and here's, here's part of the problem, Zach, that the Thunder facing Shea's been awesome. He's, he's certainly very good, but like in this weird season, they've got so many tryhards on their team that like the Kenrich Williams, the Hamadou Damn Diallo, tryhards. Oh, they screw, are always just, screwing up the, everyone's they are trying plans. so hard and they are playing so hard. They all have something to play for. If you're going to tank, you need like the apathetic veteran. You need, you need what Houston's got. You need the guys that are like, don't want to do their film work. Don't want to prepare for the game. Like you need the veterans that have made their money. They're not out to prove anything. They're just looking to get a maybe a buyout or a trade and move on to a contender later on. The Thunder don't have that. They've got all minimum guys and and professional veterans, and uh, they all want to go out and play hard and prove. Something. Well, here's what should happen. Here's what the basketball gods and the lottery gods should make happen. The Thunder fight against these lottery rule changes because they want the worst teams to get the high picks. Then when they rebuild, they're too good. And it shouldn't be harmful to them to be too good because they own all the Clippers picks, all the Heats. They own everybody's picks. So they can just count on one of these teams sometime will be bad and we'll get a good pick that way, much like Boston did. And then the lottery gods reward them with the lottery rules that they voted against so that they vault (laughs) up like nine spots and get the number one pick. That's what should happen. That's poetic justice. And then Sam Presti should have to come out and give a press conference and say, well, you know what? I like these new lottery yeah. rules. These, these it, worked out this really worked well. worked out for pretty us. well for me. This is pretty good. I think this, that is that is the kind of luck that typically does not happen for the Thunder. <laughs> the league you know, system. Hold on, luck hold on. Now, hold on. Luck, luck, <laughs> luck is with the number one pick in the draft. The Portland Trailblazers select Greg Oden. That's sure. luck. Sure enough. Um, fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, who else is caught? Who else, pick pick a couple other young players? Who else has caught your eye? We've got Roby, the Maladin kid is interesting. I mm-hmm. think Baisley's been disappointing. Poku Poku's in the G League. Ho- sh- he's hilarious. He's just hilarious to watch. <laughs> That's I'll tell you, man, that dude likes to shoot. <laughs> he likes to shoot. He's he's comical. He hasn't taken an NBA free throw yet, which is like my thing about him. He's he hasn't gotten to the. Free I didn't throw know yet. that. Yeah. He's played like I don't know three hundred something minutes and hasn't taken a free throw. It's kind of kind of remarkable. Basically, kind of interesting. You mentioned Basley. He's certainly been disappointing because he's trying to do too much. But you can see a skill set there with him that I think he's he's kind of an interesting player to kind of to watch. Um, Diallo, see, you shook your head earlier on Diallo. Do you, I, I kind of Diallo. He fascinates me. I, there's something about Diallo that that compels no, me. No, I shook my head just because. 
he's he's so frenetic like that's what that's mm-hmm. what was holding him back all this time he was just he's just completely out of control and he can't shoot and this year he's a little bit more under control they've yeah. played him at like a pseudo point guard a little bit and it mm-hmm. hasn't been like a disaster um but he still can't shoot he's still shooting 28% from 3 or something like i i right. just there's something about it that i don't quite buy but then he, what is he 22 i mean he's so young yeah. he's still so young basley i agree basley was in my 10 things last year in a positive way, he's got a nice feel for the game. You can tell he reads the game pretty well. Mm-hmm. His passes are pretty advanced. His, his defensive rotation, he just, the shooting, it's like he got a little carried away by getting hot in the bubble. And now right. he's like, I want to take like six threes a game and it's not working out. Yeah. And he, yeah. And I don't know that he has a great offensive backup plan if that's not working for him. He's had some games that have, have been good uh, where, where he's kind of gotten a mid-range jumper going. I'll say this about Diallo though. And I'm already all in on making hyperbolic statements, so let me make one more. You know what he, he – Diallo gives me a little bit of a poor man's Westbrook feel. Like that kind of like wow. down, that downhill charging at the basket using his immense athleticism and competitive spirit to like overwhelm opponent, opponents. But like everybody knows the book on him is that he can't shoot. Now, I'm not saying he's Russell Westbrook. I'm just saying like I get that sort of like kind of vibe from him as I watch him. I at at no point am I saying Hamdou Diallo equals Russell Westbrook. No, we're gonna edit. The, we're gonna edit this podcast so that <laughs> that's exactly what he's saying. Um, can can do you expect him to move Horford and Hill? Hill should be fairly easy to move given his mm-hmm. light guarantee for next year. Horford, it's still a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I certainly think that they'll move Hill um, just because I think that the Thunder historically try to find a middle ground with veteran players and kind of accommodate them on those sorts of things. And that's, that's a lot of times how they get the buy-in that they get from some of these veteran guys, you know, other players walk into these situations and they want out immediately. Thunder kind of work with them and are very transparent with them about it. So I think, you know, George Hill will probably move on. You mentioned it. Horford's got a big contract. He's actually played pretty well at times. He's played good. I, I thought, I, th- I thought he would play well in Oklahoma city because they're going to play him at the five. Instead There's of a lot of Eastern teams year. that could use him too. I mean, you could lay, you could list out like seven East teams that could really use Al Horford. Um, I just don't well, know that Char- there's a Charlotte's, there. Charlotte's the obvious one. I mean, yeah. Charlotte, you put a real center on Charlotte. And I mean, Cody Zeller's a real center, but you put a real good shooting center on Charlotte and suddenly... See, I love him on Washington. I think I think the Wizards would could desperately use Al Horford. But like, where do you make that? Where do you get to a trade there? You know, I, I don't I don't know where you could, you could get on that one. I, I will say, here's another interesting trade deadline piece to keep an eye on and we've been talking about him is Diallo like Diallo is eligible too and like I think that the Thunder may have to make a decision on him of like what what do we see with him because they don't they don't typically let assets walk away for nothing you know if he's going to go to restricted free agency or something I don't think that you just let Diallo walk away to me Diallo is if if defenses can just ignore him when he doesn't have the ball all this other stuff is great. It's great that he's advanced as a passer and a playmaker. He's a good. He should be a good defender. I mean, I don't know. I think he's just okay, but he he certainly has the tools to be really good and a good rebounder. As long as you can just say you, I don't have to guard you out here. Mm-hmm. To me, you're just you're a backup. That's all you are. You're I mean, which is not a bad. By the way, being an NBA backup is incredible. I would love to be an NBA backup for one day just to feel like what right. how how uh, how great it would be to be that amazing at something. But I so but that my point is that should put a ceiling on like nobody should pay him as a future starter yet in restricted right. free agency. I don't think. Yeah, you're right. And but you know I think of two teams that he makes a lot of sense for, and it's just because he's from there and he plays amazing when he goes to New York. 
but like it, it makes it makes a lot of I think he would fit well on the Nets and I think he would fit really well on the Knicks especially what the Knicks are kind of building right now he it seems to me like Hamid Diallo just kind of fits that that up and coming mentality that they have and plus if you've ever seen him play in those buildings like oh my goodness Hamid Diallo looks like Russell Westbrook when he goes to Madison Square Garden I don't know what it is about it he's from he's from uh, he's from New York so some something gets into him. Do you ever think this is the last question? Do you ever think the Thunder? I mean, I guess it would have to take given the market. It would have to. It would have to be a guy who had years left on his contract and expressed some desire to remain in Oklahoma City. We did see them trade real stuff for Paul George mm-hmm. um, on an expiring contract. Would they? Is there ever a scenario where you're talking about the plan is Cade Cunningham and X? You know, another another. Is there ever a scenario where they where they find someone in the NBA, a veteran star, who's like, "We'll do the reverse Harden. We'll we'll, we'll trade you everything we got for 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 guy X, whoever that is." Is that even in in their thinking? I think it is, and I think it's I think it's becoming more the thinking again because of SGA. Like when the, when they're evaluating him to say like, "Okay, so if we went and got." a similar level star or a similar level young player that could kind of align with him. And so you get that, that distressed star, you know, that everybody is out there looking for whoever that might be, you know, you can project on who that guy might be down the line. I mean, the thunder absolutely could cash in some chips, right? Like they've got, they've got the bank to do this. Um, And so like, I think that that could be out there. I don't think that that has been kind of part of what their plan is. I think that what they want to do is build a very organic team with, young high level draft picks and then stock the back into the roster and use those other picks to, to restock with first rounders or, or make other kind of uh, step-by-step trades. But I mean, I, I don't think it's out of the question that they do that just because I think that they're kind of reconfiguring based on the successes of this team and the successes of SGA specifically. Well, I'm assuming they could just trade Dort for a star straight up. I assume that Dort. What are we talking about? Why are we acting as if they don't have the second star already? Like Dort, Dort for a name, name a star. Dort straight up uh, gets it done. I love watching that dude. I don't really know if he's playing basketball still. I mean, he kind of is. He has he he gets places off the dribble, attacking closeouts, but Uh on defense, he's playing Dort ball. I mean, he is playing. He's a football player. He's a linebacker playing basketball. The other thing he does, he's so strong and he's so fast. This is my favorite thing about watching him play defense. He'll go under screens against guys that he should absolutely not go under screens against, like really good shooters, because yeah. he just thinks I'm so fast and I'm so explosive and so strong that I can get away with it. And sometimes he gets burned, and that's the fun part. Is like sometimes you get burned. I I just yeah. I can't he's, take he's my eyes off that dude. He, uh, you talk right. about why the Thunder are fun to watch. It's because they got Lou Dort on their team. Lou Dort. Got to have the highest shot arc in the entire league. Just, just I don't know how they go in. I don't know if he knows where they're going, but all I know is they go real high. All right, Royce Young. What else we got? What what should we be on the lookout from you in the next uh, couple of weeks? Anything you want to, or any any recent piece you want to pump up? Uh, I did write something about uh, annoying moves that players do, kind of the the, the Trey Young phenomenon. That's right, last week, out. yeah. Um, and that that seems to become kind of looks like that's becoming my niche. Zach is where I'm going to write about weird things players do. Um, so, well, you so, had the one over the summer about one. free throw, free throw, free throw uh, defense, distractions. Yeah. yeah, free throw yeah, defense, free throw, which is quite free good. Free throw defense. So I think I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I've got my eye on another one of those types of stories that I'm sort of working on right now. Awesome. All right, Royce Young. We'll just call you quirky NBA features writer. <laughs> uh, sure. Stay safe down there. Thanks for your time. You bet, Zach. Happy to do it.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.